0: This is sermon Smith, a bi-weekly conversation about the craft of sermon preparation, and my name is John Chandler. Hey, it was good. Uh, last week I was at the Missio Alliance National Gathering, and it was a lot of fun. I had a chance to catch up with some old guests who had been on the show, meet some of the guests for the first time in person, uh, but also just had a chance to meet some of you who have listened to the podcast, who had some nice things to say. Some of you might have had not nice things to say, but you withheld them, so thanks for that. But it was just fun to connect and put uh, actual faces together with voices or actual faces together with reviews or emails I've gotten, or just ears that have been listening. So thank you all of you for, uh, touching base and, and meeting in person. I I love how these digital conversations have, uh, make in-person conversations have more, more depth and meaning. Uh, so, so thanks to all of you. It's just, it's fun to uh, have this wider conversation going. Uh, can you tell I've only had three sips of coffee so far today? Cause, uh, I have slow words coming out. So I will try to move this thing along so we can get to today's interview. A little bit more business. Uh, first of all, uh, we've been trying to get our iTunes reviews up to 60, jump from 40 to 60. It was a little slower the last couple of weeks. We're up to 44, but thank you. Uh, Ian Stamps came along. I think yours might have gone live right about the time the last interview uh, went live as well, because, Ian, you had supported on Patreon as well. But, Ian Stamps, thanks for your uh, review, and as well as my good old friend Gary Hansen. How are you doing up there in Seattle, Gary? It's been a long time. Uh, one more thing to let you know about is coming up on May 18th, my friend Jr. Briggs is going to be doing an online webinar called or he's calling it online group coaching, but it's called Six Practical Ways to Sharpen Your Teaching and Preaching. And the cost of that is going to be $35. If you've listened to JR's interviews on SermonSmith, you know he's a thoughtful guy. Uh, You can learn more about that at kairospartnerships.org backslash group dash coaching, kairospartnerships.org backslash group dash coaching. But we're also going to give away two tickets for that uh, through SermonSmith. So uh, today, uh, this, this episode is going to go live in early May, like May 3rd of 2017. And next week, probably on Monday of next week. So May 8th, we will be uh, doing a giveaway for those who are interested, uh, for two tickets for that. So uh, if you are following the podcast on Twitter at Sermon Smith or find us on Facebook, we'll pop out some instructions on both of those on how we're going to handle that giveaway. So if you're interested in that, follow on Twitter follow on Facebook. My guest today is Josh Crane. Josh is a mixture of a likable, delightful guy and a thoughtful guy. I mean, I suppose that would always be true of all of us, but but maybe all of us don't get the equal measure of it that Josh seems to have and you'll hear that come through. Josh is the pastor of the Meeting House which is in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and you might recall that actually and we'll talk about this early on in the podcast, but we actually interviewed the other teaching pastor from his church several years ago, which was Meredith Dancos. I, I guess it's really been a little over a year ago. Uh, but even in that year, it's, it's, it's fun to hear how some of their process has transformed because they were just starting a Thursday night discussion group about the sermon when we interviewed Meredith. And of course, it's fun to hear the very different process that each of them go through and some of the similarities. So I'd encourage you. I don't know that you necessarily need to do it before, but I'd encourage you to maybe go back and listen listen to Meredith uh, as a compliment to this conversation to hear how two people in the same context are handling uh, summer preparation. But Josh, thanks so much for making the time and the space to join us. We actually talked about Josh uh few episodes ago, even with Kurt Willems, who is a friend of his, because I said I had invited Josh, but as I looked back through, I had not invited Josh. I just had good intentions. So here he is. We've got him, and Josh is with us today. So thanks, Josh, for joining us. Thanks to all of you for listening. Here's Josh Crane of The Meeting House in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Uh, dude, I, I should ask you this. Do you have questions? I,
1: I mean, I, I assume you listened to Meredith at some point. So you kind of fami- are familiar with what happens here. I did. Yeah. I listened to Meredith and, uh, and I will tell you upfront, Oh, maybe I'll just save this for the, <laughs> yeah, I'll save it. Never mind. <laughs> I think I'm good. I just lost you. Oh, there you are. I lost you. So say that again. Oh, that's not great. Uh, yeah. I said, no, I think I'm good uh, on questions. No, no problem. Okay.
0: And then you said you're going to tell me up front, and then you said you're going to save it. So I guess you're just going to spring something on me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's my mad. plan. You can take it or leave it. Then <laughs> at that point, be, I'm happy I'm for you to edit turn this into this down. is your life <laughs> <laughs> for me. I hope not. I hope not. I wouldn't want to put you on the spot that much.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Well, good then. All right. Well, so I mean, let me say this: we're recording. We're we're off and running here. So I mean, there's we have a very engaged audience on Sermon Smith and. So I know that everybody's first of all listened to every episode that's ever been done. <laughs> and I know that everybody remembers the details of every episode that's ever been done. And even Certainly. brand even brand new listeners have probably already listened to every episode that's been done. So they <laughs> it, it it might seem foolish to, you know, recap where you are and some of the things about The Meeting House since I interviewed right. Meredith a little over a year ago. But just in case, just in case, yeah, let's talk about, uh, Josh, let's talk about where you are. Talk about The Meeting House and and about your church.
1: Yeah, we are in Carlisle and Dillsburg, Pennsylvania. So we have two different locations right now. And we are... Uh, kind of um, the joke about Pennsylvania is that you have Philadelphia on one side, Pittsburgh on the other, and Arkansas in the middle. And so we're, <laughs> we're right in the middle of <laughs> South Central Pennsylvania and we're, but we're really close to Harrisburg. So there's a break from the Arkansas around the Harrisburg area. And we're in this area that goes at uh, Harrisburg, Mechanicsburg, Carlisle, and then Dillsburg is just a little south of us. And so in this particular area, there's more of a um, suburban and urban feel to it, but, but we're just, we're, we're, we're touching the edge of what would be more rural. And so our congregation is made up of people who would be. All three of those—urban, suburban, and rural—which means they're just coming from different points of view and perspectives, and that's always fun uh, and challenging. And the diversity is, is is a really big strength for us. We've been multi-site for uh, only about a year and a half now. So when you talked to Meredith last time, I'm not even sure if we had launched our second campus yet. Feels like it's just starting, maybe. Yeah, that's that sounds about right, probably. And that's been going really well. Uh, we got a great group. Uh, folks in Dillsburg. It actually used to be a, a church called Cumberland Valley Church, and we merged with them. And then we've seen um they've just brought so much life and vitality. So it's been it's been really awesome. So that's a little about where we are, man. Yeah, and you're doing so.
0: You're not the same church as Brux. Brux. I was going to say Bruxster. I was, ho- was going to make up
1: a new name for him <laughs> for Bruxy K.V. He'd be fine with that. Yeah. So we're not the same church, but we do have a good relationship with each other. And um, I've, I preached up there a few weeks ago. Uh, Brux. Brux has preached here before, so we do a little bit of pulpit swapping. And we're, you know, we've had some conversations about what it could look like to uh, to just think missionally together in the future. But that's all, you know, early stages. But uh, so we're friends, but not the same church.
0: And what it, when you say you guys are a multi-site church, what happens on? Is it video venue on the other campus, or is it live preaching? How do you do that?
1: Yeah, it's it's almost almost always video venue on the other campus. Occasionally, we will uh, show the same video at our Carlisle campus and we'll preach live at Dillsburg, but that's just probably two, three times a year or so. So it doesn't happen that often. We we do have so currently we've had some technology limitations here that have prevented us from live streaming it to Dillsburg, which means we have a Thursday night service. Where the sermon that we will be preaching that Sunday is preached to a small group of people, about forty people, uh, and then that the video capture of that is what's used in Dillsburg right now, which is which causes a lot of um, complications for our preaching staff because we have to have the sermon finished and ready to go by Thursday evening. So we are talking on
0: Wednesday of Easter week. No wonder, <laughs> no wonder you're amped up because your Easter's tomorrow.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is tomorrow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, okay. So, that, that, so the Thursday night thing, we'll circle back to that because that is one piece I remember from talking with Meredith. I don't, I don't, I, I think maybe the venue, video venue, i am I've, I should say this. I'm assuming that I'm going to say in the intro to this all of the backstory of everything I just described, which was, but just in case I forget, <laughs> <laughs> we previously interviewed Meredith Dancause, who is teaching pastor with Josh at the same church. So that's what all this is referring to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but but now that I say that, I, I don't, I, I think maybe that the multi-site thing hadn't happened because I don't even remember if I had conversations with her. About talking about, you know, what it's like to preach for video at the same time.
1: Yeah, I don't yeah. actually remember either. because And I haven't listened to that one. I listened to it at the time you guys did it, but I haven't listened to it in a while. And um, the other piece that's really complicated, some weeks, some weeks, Thursday nights just won't work for us. And so we actually have to record it even earlier than that so that we have a video to show at the Thursday night thing. Um, and so it just it's we're still working through the best way to do this because it's overly complicated right now for sure and it it sometimes just torpedoes you know our work week yeah
0: well let's talk okay all that all the all the technical stuff aside i know enough about you that we'll get into technical stuff later cuz i know you can get pretty nerdy like me i'm not looking forward <laughs> to that part but uh, back to back to uh tmh. church the meeting house uh what uh what kind of people are part of the congregation
1: yeah, man. We, uh, we've just a real diverse group. Uh, so it, it would be people who have been Christians for a really long time. We, we literally had someone stand last year. We asked as a joke, like, who's been a part of the church for more than a hundred years? And, you know, no one stood. And then we asked for more than 90 and still people laughed. And then someone stood up and he's 93 and he's literally been at this church since he was born. And so that was pretty awesome. And then we have people who, uh, have either never been to church before, or they were burned out Catholics as kids, like went a little bit, or they have given up, had given up on Christianity at some point, We're kind of their last stop. So I would say we have everything in between that. And w- what we really try to focus on as far as Sunday mornings and how to leverage sermons is how are we helpful to, to young professional families who have either never been to church or who have left the church.
0: And then, uh, it's pretty, is it pretty diverse uh, ethnically or economically or anything like that? Or is it pretty,
1: I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, the people no. you know, right? Yeah, we're, it's, well, it's the area that we live in, really. So my wife and I have lived in Chicago before. One of our favorite things about living in Chicago was was the ethnic diversity. We moved to Pennsylvania, and that's just, it's probably the thing we struggle with the most about living here. Our South Middleton Township, where our, where our Carl campus is located, is something like 96% white Caucasian. And so we're, we have more ethnic diversity in our church than we do in our town. So we're happy about that, but it's still nothing to, you know, brag about. It's, it's very, you know, just our area doesn't have a lot of it. Right, right, right. Okay. Uh, so talk about, and I'm going to frame
0: this question. So I've been one classically that's been a little bit of a skeptic of the video venue idea, just put sure. my cards on the table. And, yeah. uh, but then I remember, so I think the first person I interviewed who actually did it was Bruxy. And I remember after talking to Bruxy, I'm like, I can see the value of why they've chosen to do this. So your yeah. answer might be the same, but that's OK, because maybe people don't. Maybe there's a few people who don't remember and maybe your answer's not the same. But talk about talk about the role of preaching in the life of the meeting house and how that might even fit in with uh, doing videos in a second location for you.
1: Yeah, so for us, um, sermons are talks that start talks. They're the first word about, uh, of the conversation, not the last. And so we, we say here at the meeting house that church really starts when we turn our chairs toward one another. Which means that Sunday mornings for us um, are a time for, you know, from the platform to to put out a wrestle with scripture and where we are on it and to really do some teaching. But then we we turn it, we kind of give it over to the community uh, for them to wrestle with it throughout the week. So for us, the only reason that works well and the reason that we are we're good with the video venue concept is because um, at the core of who we are, we really emphasize getting in a small groups, which is what we call circles here at the Meeting House. And those circles then have questions that they wrestle with that are based on the text and the sermon that was preached. And they don't, the goal is not that they leave those circles having just agreed with the sermon or having just, um, you know, learned a little more about what the preacher said. The goal is that they actually wrestle with the difficulty of the passage and how it applies and that they've, they've done the thinking for themselves. So for us, we're good with video because because we don't emphasize Sunday morning as the only thing around here, like we we believe that discipleship happens when people are kind of strapped to the Bible, to the Holy Spirit, and to each other, and that happens more in circles than it does on Sunday mornings.
0: So, has it been different for you since this is a new thing? You know, and you weren't doing video until a year and a half ago. How's that had to change your approach to preparing your sermons?
1: The really the only thing that's changed my approach is the logistics of having to be be able to go on a Thursday night. The video itself, uh, I, the only thing I can think of on that is I'm, I'm still preaching to in a room, usually to a group of people. I am having to make eye contact with the camera and I've had to force myself to do that because it feels much more connected in a, ven- in a video venue when the person preaching is looking into the camera with some regularity. And that's been hard for me to get used to, but that's, that's about it. But from the prep side, I mean, is it is it because your two is
0: it because your two communities are similar enough that there's not much you've had to take into account as far as speaking something that might be universal to both or m- might go, oh, only my Carlisle people are going to get this or anything like that.
1: Right? Yeah. So we're we're close enough both in geographical proximity and I would say even in mindset. But because both campuses have a lot of—I wouldn't say demographic diversity—but they have a lot of psychographic diversity. So uh, people just don't think about the world the same ways. I, I have people who would be very traditionalists, um, very like relatively black and white thinkers, almost bordering on fundamentalism, probably just because of their church background and where they grew up. And we're, we're part of the Brethren in Christ, which had a pretty long history at one point uh, of of in some pockets being pretty fundamentalist. And so I've got people who come from kind of like that holiness movement where, you know, to even think about, uh, you know, going to the theater to see a movie would just have been anathema to everything that they stood for. So there's some of my older folks kind of come from that background. Then I've got other people who are very modern in their mindset. You know, people who are you know they work in the medical field or they're bankers or I mean, just very, uh, very modern. And then I have a lot of postmoderns as well. And so just knowing that those three groups are in the room at both campuses means that you really have to ask everything I'm doing. How am I help helping all this all these people take the next step in their faith journey? And it it is hard. A lot of thought has to go into that. So just being deliberate about trying to address those three places people might be coming from, yeah, is going to offer diversity enough of thought, I guess, to it. Yeah. it definitely so, is because you know we read a story like uh, in Jonah. Uh, we, we talk about, you know, Jonah and the thing that's going to come up for all three of those groups is the stupid fish, right? Like it's, um, uh, the, the traditionalists are basically thinking if, you know, if, if that fish didn't literally swallow that man for three days, then you might as well deny the resurrection. And my, uh, <laughs> my modernists are thinking, you know, if you're going to make me believe that that fish definitely had to have swallowed that man, then I'm out. And my postmodernists, uh, well, they don't care because they just love a great story. But the, the three of them together really does, you know, every time we approach, the text. It's like, how can we breathe fresh life into this for a group that thinks very differently about the world? And did you grow up in a brother in Christ tradition? No, I grew up Southern Baptist in East Texas. So this is a very different context for me. I don't think I knew you were an East Texas boy.
0: Where's your accent? That's where it's thickest uh, around here.
1: Yeah, I moved to Chicago and I found out that if you want to be taken seriously, you really can't talk like this. It really doesn't matter what you have in your brain. And so uh, I started to lose the accent on purpose and started to drop some words from my vocabulary, like y'all and fixin' to and those kinds of things. It was deliberate. So how, yeah, sure. How, how did you find your way into brethren in Christ then? Oh man, I had a early, I had a crisis of faith in my early twenties. Um I started reading a lot of uh postmodern philosophers and and even some more classic ones like Nietzsche and um you know Karl Marx and and it's just listed, I was reading a lot of critiques about religion in general and oftentimes Christianity specifically and I just realized at some point, like I, I didn't have the tools to answer these questions. And so I started asking like some pastors and some lay people who I really respected and, and the answers I was getting just weren't satisfying. And so I was having this crisis of faith, but I'd also, I just married uh, my bride and she was, came from a strong Christian family. I didn't feel like I could talk to her about that. Cause I didn't want to like unnecessarily rattle her or shake her faith. And um, I went through really just a dark period where I came very close to walking away from Christianity. I started studying a lot of other things. Um, But one of the people I found during that time uh, who helped me a lot was a guy named Greg Boyd. He's a pastor out of St. Paul, Michigan. uh, Or sorry, St. Paul, Minnesota. And he's at Woodland Hills Church. I'm sure a number of your listeners would be very familiar with him. And uh, I found his – first his his books and then I found out he was speaking at this uh, conference in Shipshawana, Indiana. And uh, I – as a 23, 24-year-old, I took all my money and drove up to Shipshawana, Indiana in an old Volkswagen and, uh, went to this very small, like 50 person kind of conference that I don't even know how they booked him for. And he was so generous with his time and I asked him a ton of questions. And while I didn't walk away going, Oh, now I have all the answers to all of these things. I did walk away saying, okay, there's a lot. There are a lot better models thought thoughts out there than what I've been familiar with. And so I I can at least dig in again. And I continue to follow Greg over the years. And it, I, f- I learned one time that he was speaking at this church in Canada called The Meeting House. And so I just watched the sermon and realized they were doing a whole series on nonviolence, which was wh- where I was with with biblical pacifism at that point. I was a lot stronger in my faith. I was pastoring a church plant and I was burned out because I, I wasn't trained in pastoring a church plant. Uh, it kind of happened as an accident. That's a long story. And so I I watched that whole series, and I heard Bruxy Cavey talk about our our denomination believes this. Our denomination has thought this, and I thought, man, what denomination, you know, that uh, is not Amish is still uh, is vibrant and is okay to think about, you know, presenting the gospel in modern ways. Like I've never heard of this, and I found was the brethren in Christ. And so my wife and I had been thinking about a possible transition in our lives at that time. I, I looked at the BIC website in the United States, and there was a job opening at a church in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. And so I sent away one resume, and it was to this church. And so I ended up coming here as an associate. And then a couple years later, the senior pastor left, and I went through a process and was named the senior pastor. So it's kind of a weird, strangled route to get here. But it was um, we're, we look back in awe all the time at all the pieces that had to fit into place for this to happen. Yeah, that's a pretty great story. So,
0: I I talked a few years ago with a friend of mine who was, I'd say his story was pretty similar to yours. He ended up in a Mennonite congregation, became a Mennonite mm-hmm. pastor, did not come from that background. And one of the things that he talked about was, and he was out West, so it wasn't even as, uh, it, maybe there wasn't even this level of particularity I'm about to describe there. But he talked about how they would use language of natives and immigrants because there were so, so many in their church who were, native Mennonites <laughs> and then there were those in their church who were immigrant Mennonites and there was a little bit of a maybe not a clash or a distrust but they just felt the tension of that and maybe this goes back to what you were describing earlier but has there been a process for you to have to gain credibility I'm we're not even talking about sermon prep here today this is this is crazy <laughs> <laughs> what was there? maybe we'll just cut
1: the whole first 20 minutes
0: this is still interesting stuff so it was there a process that you had to go through to gain credibility as an immigrant, so to speak, with those in the congregation who had this long, rich history with the BIC?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's interesting um, because you know, w- whenever you become the senior leader of a of an organization, there are the people who come in after you are that senior leader, and the people who were there before you, and you know, that scale is tipped all the way towards those who were before you when you first step in. And there's a natural distrust that comes with that because there's a feeling of like, look, this is actually our church, our organization or whatever it is. And, um, you know, who are you to come in here and, (laughs) you know, have new ideas and tell us kind of where to go? I think that's true across most organizations. I had a friend who was a um, he worked security for a whole bank branch one time, like like 75 branches and banks. He told me every time they changed managers at one of their branches, they had 75 percent of the staff turnover within the first six months. Um, it's just hard to welcome someone in as a, as a new leader. I found that to be true here, but I think it's more true uh, Pennsylvania has more of that culture than than just the Mennonites or the Brethren in Christ. It's It's kind of all intertwined. But in Pennsylvania, it's the least transient place we've ever lived. So most oh, wow. of the people who I met my first several months here had lived within 30 miles of Carlisle their entire lives for college and everything. And so, when that's the case, what you find as a newcomer is that, first of all, people's connectors are full, right? They we only have so many slots for real deep connection in our lives. And when you move into a place where people have lived there their whole life and they have this routine, like we go to moms for you know Sunday uh, lunch, we I hang out with my high school friends on Tuesday nights, I uh, you know those kind like in their in their forties, fifties, sixties, they just they're very friendly, very nice, very kind. They want to be welcoming, but they just don't have time for you. And so it was hard to make deep relational connection at, at the, at first. And then there was certainly some of that outsider insider mentality as well. And what I found is, you know, the, the way to do that is, is by gaining trust. A friend of mine, Chris Mavity says that you can't just build trust. Um, trust is actually the sawdust of confidence. And confidence, uh, is the solace of predictability. Like if, if I can predict what you're going to do, then I'm going to have more confidence in you, which will eventually lead me to trust. But predictability only comes from consistency. And so you really have to start at that base level of consistency over time to build trust. And there's, there's no substitute for it. And so, what we've tried to do since I've stepped into this role is that we've, we've actually made a lot of changes, but we're, we're trying to consistently change in order to make our church more outward focused and more engaged with the community and more engaged with those people who don't know Jesus. And a lot of people have caught that vision, bought into that. Uh, we really emphasize evangelism, discipleship, and leadership development. Those are the three things that we absolutely hang our hats on. If those things aren't happening, then we are failing. And there are people here who haven't liked to change this because, um, you know, they really like the way things were. Or the other thing that I find is that we really struggle when something reached us, like was a main reason that we started to follow Jesus. We have the assumption that that'll be equally helpful for everybody for all time. And all of us do that. We all have that kind of proclivity. And so when things aren't as helpful because the culture has changed a lot, it's hard for us to recognize that when it was so helpful for us. And so we've run into some of that as well. But I think we've worked through it together. I have wonderful support from uh, my church board, from our bishop, from our national director, and uh, we've, we've walked through it together. Yeah, great. Uh, That's a good, thoughtful answer.
0: Sounds like you spent some time thinking about this one, or learning, learning your way through it, maybe.
1: Yeah, Uh, learning my way through it for sure.
0: (laughs) So talk about talk about planning. Like I'm looking at your recent sermons. Looks like you guys do a lot of kind of thematic based sermon series. So talk about how those come together, how far in advance you plan them, and how you discern like what's going to be addressed in your sermons.
1: Yeah, we, we sit down every year, myself and Meredith, because we share teaching responsibilities. And we also sit down with a number of other staff members, creative arts people. And we look over the last couple of years of of sermons and what's been preached through. Uh, some of those that look thematic are actually they're actually book studies. We just package them as a as a thematic sermon series. Um, gotcha. So, for instance, we, we walked through Hebrews a few months ago. Um, we're looking to walk through Romans this year as well. So, so we do both thematic and um, and book kind of walking through books. But we we do that together to say like, what is it that's important for our, our church to be thinking about given what's coming ahead on the church calendar given ground we're wanting to take as a congregation. And so we kind of plan out the whole year in advance then series-wise. It's not um it's it's not down to, you know, details of, of exactly what's going to be said in the sermon. But we try to get a year calendar and we do that usually by the end of October, we've got the next year completely planned out. Sometimes sometimes we need to meet, you know, throughout the year as things change and adjust that. And we try to leave also what we call connecting Sundays, a few that aren't hooked to anything. Because we do occasionally do like a and a Sunday where we just have people text in questions and we just spend 40 minutes answering questions. And those those are always go over really well, actually. People want to bring their unchurch friends to those days because they'll ask all kinds of, you know, kind of skeptic questions and that kind of thing. So that's kind of what the calendar looks like.
0: So, when you say those are all planned out, I mean, is that all the way down to verse, theme, title, like week to week? Or is it more that we're going to do this six-week series, but you'll pull those pieces together once you get closer to it?
1: Yeah, the that initial planning meeting with everyone, you really can't get down into tons of detail on that. So what we're doing is we're coming up with the giant themes. If it's a book study, obviously we'll have the book. If it's not a book study, we'll try to talk about like what what passages would make sense possibly to to go with this theme. So we're just kind of some initial brainstorming around that. And then we also do creative brainstorming, like what would we need to pull this off? Uh what are the elements that might be affixed to it? What could we do to make this memorable so that the takeaways kind of get more lodged in the heart? Uh, those are the kinds of big picture things we'll talk about. We we have other meetings with smaller groups as we're getting, you know, a month or two or three away from those specific series to to get more of the detail planned out.
0: And then you said I'm gonna circle back to this question a few different or or I'm gonna circle back to this theme a few different times, probably with each question because you you, uh, place as much emphasis on your sermons being connected to your small groups as most anybody I've interviewed, it sounds like. And, it, and selfishly, it's something we're always considering here if we need to do that better. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so even as you're planning series, are you trying to only think, are you always trying to think, you know, with two hands? Like, is this going to play well as sermons and also play well as something that'll be good for our circles to work through or are there ever series that you do that aren't connected to your circles
1: Yeah. So our circles meet uh, in three semesters over the year. That's important for us because we want people to be able to have on ramps and off ramps for them. If you, uh, you know, Meredith, Meredith is oversees a lot of our discipleship and our discipleship team. And she has this saying, she says with some frequency, you know, don't let your, don't let your small group become a gang. And there's been too many small groups that I've been a part of over the years that, Hey, good. You guys are meeting together. Great. And then you just do that until you all die or you get mad at each other and, we try to give people on ramps and off ramps so that if they don't connect with those people quickly, they can get out after nine weeks. So our, our circle semesters are nine weeks long, three semesters a year. And then we have, um, what what we call, uh, uh, They're basically resting months in between the, the different uh, circle group times. And during that time, uh, people can take a grow class, which is, which is separate from a group. It's just kind of a one shot on a particular topic that might be two or three hours. People can get into a different circle if their last one wasn't working. So during those margin months, when we have, uh, when we're not meeting in circles, we may have a series that wouldn't work as well for the group to connect on. And we do think definitely what the circle schedule is when we're putting the sermon schedule together. That's important to us. Yeah. Okay. And then how often do you preach? I preach about two thirds of the time. So about two out of three Sundays I'll preach. Okay.
0: And do you tend to, do you and Meredith tend to mix it up during the
1: series or is it, you'll take a series and then she'll take a series? Yeah, no, we, we mix it up quite a lot. And sometimes we do team teaching as well. It's actually something we'd like to do more of because we, we enjoy it and it's usually received very well. Um, our, our preaching styles are not the same, but they're very complimentary and I tend to be very like, um, big picture tying these, you know, tying things together that maybe you hadn't thought of before, uh, Meredith, uh, Meredith, uh, Meredith can do that, but she's very good at the like application, like really practical on the ground. I can do that too, but she's certainly way better than I am at that. So sometimes, uh, a series is always stronger. I think when the two of us take parts of it, because it, it makes the whole, uh, make more sense at different levels for people.
0: Right, right, okay, one, and part of the reason I asked that question also is you know, because I want to start talking about your timeline, like how do your sermons come together, so it's just helpful to frame how often are you writing sermons you know in the in the in the week to week of your your job role. So let's talk about that let's you know let's take it down to like one particular sermon, a typical sermon process, what does that look like for you? How far ahead are you starting? You know, how many do you have going at a time? And just lead us all the way up to Thursday night.
1: <laughs> I've yeah, never I said that one before, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I should ask, John, do you want me to tell you on an ideal week what it would look like or what it actually looks like? <laughs> well, because uh, things are not always the same. That's for sure. <laughs> right.
0: I mean, if, if if there's your ideal and then there's your actual, if you find that your actual is what happens most often, then let's talk about your actual What's happens most often.
1: You, I would how say about you tell us seasonal. without telling yeah, us what but, you're describing? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we, we've been without an executive pastor since October. He just started this week, which means, uh, you know, I'll have to... Be, It'll it'll, he'll be drinking from a fire hose for a few weeks before he's able to really take a lot off my plate, but he'll be awesome uh, soon. But because of that, since October, my ideal has rarely been hit. In normal times, when our when our executive team is filled out, this is hit you know more often than it's not. So I'll go and talk about the ideal, and then if you want to know about what it's like to scramble every week and feel like your life might end, if I want to call
0: BS at any time,
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's not happening. You're totally welcome to yeah. So on. On a typical week, uh, we've got the series already planned out. Meredith and I have already divvied up uh, passages. Usually by then, we've talked uh, about a few things, uh, including you know, what do I, w- what is the theme of the series, uh, what passages are we looking for, kind of what's the transformation point and the target audience. You know, if if this doesn't work for anybody else, who does it absolutely have to work for? We've usually talked about the mood of the series and how it fits in with the larger you know annual calendar. So what I'm doing then is uh, usually the the week of is on Monday, i'm I'm defining very clearly what is this message about? Like what's the bottom line? If I could only say it, you know, in a tweet, if I can only say it in a, in a few words, like if someone could just walk away with one thing, what is my absolute bottom line? And I find that that for me, Uh, I love, I don't know if Myers-Briggs, I'm an ENFP. I, I love possibilities. So it is, this, this to me is my least favorite day because I hate, I hate deciding what the sermon's about because I want it to be about everything I love. And that is a terrible way to preach. So I have to get it really down and synthesize it. Um, and then I, I try to ask also, like, what is it that I want them to, to do with that then, you know, as they, as they move on? And do I have a particular way of attacking this that that would make it like most convincing to them? So those are kinds of the things I do on Monday. I'm really not down in the weeds very much. I'm really trying to get at that top level. And by by Tuesday, I want to know, you know, what is what is this thing going to be? Uh, on Tuesday, I'll, I'll try to spend some time in the morning um, after we usually have some staff meetings around that start around nine or 11, depending on the week. So I try to do early morning uh, thinking through like what what's the introduction? How do I cause the existential crisis for people that they care about what I have to say after that? You know, what is uh, how do I take people on a tour of this concept? I think that um, the best communication really takes people on a tour of the idea. And so I want to know, all right, this is what scripture says. I want to do my work in commentaries. I usually do a lot of that on Monday as well, some commentaries on Monday and Tuesday. And once I really understand what it's about, then I'll, I, I can spend Tuesday reading um, other things like psychologists, history, things things that I need to grab to say, like, here's how we can take people on a tour of this idea um, as well as uh, treat the scripture fairly. And then what would it look like to imagine, you know, have people imagine that Wednesdays. I usually try to finish up uh, by Wednesday at noon is my goal is, is that I'm done with the sermon so that it can sit for over 24 hours in case other things need to percolate. So I'm really trying to get it tight on Wednesday. I don't write a manuscript or a draft. I, I really have a whole lot of notes. And then usually the final product looks like a sheet of paper with about eight to 12 key words on it. And that's kind of my outline. And so you,
0: you're you're done at that point with like eight keywords. But obviously they represent things. I assume
1: they do. Yeah. And there's there's a lot more notes in Evernote that I've taken on this. Um, so I'll, I may have a lot of notes in there about different things and elements and how I'm going to tie some things together. But I need to be able to walk away with that sheet of paper with the with the eight keywords on it.
0: And I, I mean, you say eight. I assume that varies. It might be six. It might be ten. Or yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. pretty much eight, Yeah.
1: So how do you No, it's, 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 it varies a little. <laughs>
0: so how do you define the bottom line? You know, cause you talked about, you do that on Monday, but you might even be do, doing commentaries even into Tuesday. So what's your process for like figuring out what's, what's the bottom line I want to get to out of this text?
1: Yeah, I think it's always really, the commentaries are usually the most helpful piece to that. Um, and also, so you know, sometimes we've, we've picked a text because we've kind of defined the bottom line beforehand. So we've, you know, we're, we're pretty familiar with the scriptures and where different things are taught. So sometimes we're picking out, oh, we're going to go through this book or this passage because we know that this is what it's teaching and we really want to pull on that. So some weeks that's easy. Some weeks it's hard because, uh, you know, if we're going through a book, you, you know, any one text could have several things that you choose to really focus on. Um, but it's usually going through the, um, it's going through the, the combination of going through the commentaries, what this focus of the series on and where our church is at that time. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and then you talked about the other
0: readings, you know, psychologists or whatever, where, where is that? Are you Googling? Are you looking at just your bookshelves? Like, where's where, is, where are all those other voices coming from that are that are helping with the tour?
1: Yeah. So I I a lot of those things. Um, I do read a lot, and so I try to always just uh, keep different. Uh, there are different books. I'll, I'll go through. Uh, I I go almost all digital. So I use Amazon Kindle for most of my. Mm-hmm. Books on theology, psychology, history. I like reading about quantum mechanics, even though I, I, the first time I don't understand much, a lot of it, I I enjoy the theories. And so I'll, sometimes I'll scroll through, once I kind of have the bottom line, I'll scroll through my Kindle library and just see, is there any cover that jumps out at me that I remember something from that might be worth looking into? Um, I will Google things as a starting place, but I always want to make sure that what I'm saying is true because I've heard too many sermons where somebody said something is fact that it's clear they did like one Google search and didn't didn't back up their sources. So I I, I uh, Psychology Today is is a pretty good online website with a whole long backlog of psychological articles. Um, yeah, it's it's just it would come from a number of sources. Sometimes Wikipedia gets me a start on something. I don't ever let it end with Wikipedia just because of how you know it can be inaccurate in places. But yeah, I, I use the internet a lot, man. So how,
0: when do you know, so, so the tour concept is a fascinating one to me, and this actually came up in a recent interview too, but it just, I, I, my default will be to say too much, right? And so I always, like yeah. I get, when I'm doing sermon prep, man, I'll just find myself running all down these different trails. Oh my gosh, no way, you know, and. Uh, I know. And then, I know. So, but <laughs> at the same time, I think there's some amount of value, you know, to say, look, we're, I'm, I'm engaging these ancient ideas with these contemporary ideas of people who are really thoughtful people, you know, so there's some value to that. So how, I mean, do you have a filter for knowing how much is the right amount and how much is too much? And how do you discern that?
1: Yeah. I, I think, you know, we may have similar personality types cause I, I can do that too. So Part of my filter is that this has to be done by Thursday night. <laughs> so sometimes you just cut yourself off. You're like, I can't I can't really investigate that anymore. Um part of it too is I try to think, all right, I have a limited amount of time. This idea is helpful for me, but if I'm going to explore it to this degree, would I even have the time to to you know, to, to give the context for people who have no background in this to understand it, or is this idea going to take too much time actually away from dealing with the text itself? And those are judgment calls, man. They're, they're not really easy, but I want to put that, if I take that bottom line sentence, whatever it is, you know, if it's, um, you know, change is loss or you'll never regret being generous or whatever my, my bottom line is, if I take that and just, and just really, build a tour around that. It allows me to go into all kinds of areas, but I need to be able to get in and out of them relatively quickly because they just don't have time to go into topics that people don't have enough context for. So if it's not quickly interesting to people, I've, I've just got to stay away from it, even if it's interesting to me. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and then you, you talked also about like in the intro, you want to grab, I, I don't think anybody's used this term before, but I like it. Uh, you talked about how you want to Create the existential crisis. I mean, I, yeah. I don't know if you try to do that in every sermon, but but talk about that. Talk about what is what is it that you're trying to accomplish there that that you want to get people to to uh, be connected to the sermon.
1: Yeah. Well, so when, when I think about um, how to draw people in, what I've learned over time, I think is that um, is this interesting juxtaposition between the particular and the universal, and so the the more particular I can get about how I struggle with something or how someone has struggled with something. It's, it's interesting, the more universal it actually feels. If I just talk about something as an abstract concept, people might go, Oh yeah. But if I talk about it at a really specific level, it just opens up all kinds of, it gets other neurons firing in the brain. It seems like. So this last week, for instance, I talked about regret and um, I started off with a story about how my wife and I bought a home in 2008 before the financial crisis. And, Um, then the financial crisis came and we sold our home in 2011 to move here and we lost over $40,000 on our home. Yeah. And, and I talked about some of the consequences of that. We continue to rent a pretty small house here in Carlisle because, because of that decision and because of the unfortunate consequences of it. And suddenly I got a room full of people who also had, you know, were similarly hit with the 2008 financial crisis. And now I'm moving into like sometimes you sometimes you do something intentionally that could have been avoided and you have that regret. Sometimes you make a decision that seems like it's a good one at the time, but circumstances outside of your control uh, make you regret the decision. And so now everybody gets what I'm talking about. I use a very particular example. Not everybody in that room lost money on a house, but it's it's particular enough that it actually pulls out the universal. And so um that's a that's a bit of how I, I think about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then as you're, well, all right. So let's say this, I, this, I I really don't think that the, I could be totally wrong and I'm going to look like a buffoon, but it wouldn't be the first time, but I, I feel like you were doing the Thursday and it was a fairly new thing when I interviewed Meredith, but it wasn't for video. It almost feels like it was like a practice sermon at that point, or it was just testing. Uh, so how, now that assuming, assuming now, and this wasn't the case then that Thursday night sermon is going to be seen by people you know at the other campus who are going to participate in the same small groups how much are you finding that after preaching at thursday you want to change things and how much space do you have to do that
1: yeah um i do because our our circles meet they're campus specific so we don't have cross campus circle groups um i can change it and and it and they would never yeah, you know, they wouldn't know unless they also listen to whatever version we put online. So I do change it yeah. sometimes. And then because Thursday night, it's just there's no worship; it's just the sermon. And then whatever time we have left in the hour, I take Q and A from those who are there. And sometimes I'm asked a really good question, and I, th- I think I really should have, you know, addressed that in the sermon. That's very good. <laughs> and so I will change uh, little pieces of it sometimes. Um, last week was the first time ever that I preached the sermon on Thursday night. And thought that was awful. Every piece of that was terrible. And we've just been crazy strapped here <laughs> with so, with so many things. I had done more work on my Easter sermon by last week than I had on the, that week's sermon. And so I went to our, our tech director afterwards and I just said, you know, his name is Tom Hale. I just said, Tom, I'm going to have to re-record that. Like Dillsburg can't get that. This is not helpful. So, um, because we had to have a quick turnaround, I went into my office and I literally rewrote the sermon for a large chunk of Thursday night and got a couple hours of sleep and then woke up and re-recorded it to an empty room. Um, so, so usually there's at best a few small changes, but you know, last week <laughs> it was a completely different sermon. The only thing that was the same was the text I used basically.
0: So who, so who comes to Thursday night? Is that an open thing? I mean, do you, do you want to get your best question askers there?
1: <laughs> I it is it is an open thing. People who come are typically those who don't love large crowds. And so they weren't very attached to our church beforehand because it just, it just Sunday was a little overwhelming for them, but they really like this format. And I don't know if we'll be able to do it forever just because it, I think it's causing a lot of strain on our system, but it's been helpful to have them there and to have the questions for now and and then the circle
0: materials what do those look like how much do you play into those or or does meredith is the you know person who oversees small groups watch the sermon and then produce the materials how does that come together
1: yeah we actually have a sermon uh, a circle sermon question writer and he's you know very part he's contract basically he's very part time um just writes those questions for us he usually comes to the sermon or we will also put it in a Dropbox folder that he can access right afterwards if he can't make it. And that's produced okay. by Friday morning. And that goes out then to the front office to get included in all the bullets and stuff.
0: Okay. So, yeah, you said he gets it. And I realized you mean the video at first. I thought you meant you send him your outline of eight words. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Right question yeah. best of luck steve <laughs> <laughs> no no i guess the video i should have been clear about that no, sorry I,
0: <laughs> you were clear enough i just went to another. <laughs> my mind went on it's one of those little rabbit trails that's uh, fair so <laughs> i saw you about a year ago we were at a conference and you were sitting there with your ipad pro and um i, I think you were spit shining it at the time you clearly uh, adored the thing
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's solid
0: and i admired it too um but so I remember talking with you a little bit and you just talked about how you'd pretty much gone solely to using that as your primary device. Uh, and so I assume that's true for sermons as well. So talk about, talk about how, how that's been. I told you we get nerdy. Talk about how that's been, <laughs> talk about how that's been a great move for you. To, what, what limitations have you had with trying to just do all of this with an iPad?
1: When it comes to sermon stuff, I really don't feel very limited. I uh, software I use is Accordance and Logos, and then Kindle for I use I use those pieces of software for commentaries, for Bible tools, for um, for for books, and uh, so I most of that stuff is is on iOS devices. It's on my it's on a Mac as well. And so that's not very limiting. Evernote is really great on the iPad, especially you're able to draw on it now, too. So I have this, uh, I have the pencil that goes with the iPad Pro. And, and there are times when it's just helpful when I'm trying to especially brainstorm and just get things down. I use either Penultimate or the, the Evernote app uh, to just write, write with my hand as opposed to type. That helps me for some reason. Uh, it, it just uh, makes my mind work a little differently, I think. So I found it to be super helpful. It's the best note-taking device I've ever had because if I'm, if I'm, You know, ever in a lecture or anything, and someone starts to draw something or they show a slide, I can either uh, grab a picture real fast with the front-facing camera, or I can draw it myself with the pencil. So that's really great. And those are the pieces of software I use the most. So uh, the fact that they're cross-compatible is really helpful. And you said you use Accordance and Logos. I do, yeah, because they don't, they don't have all the same resources. I wish one of them did. Uh, I don't feel that strongly about either piece of software as far as it being way better than the other or anything, but I can't get all the resources of both in one piece of software. So.
0: So what's a, what's an example of? Like one of the things, what's an example of what each of them has or offers that's unique that the other doesn't have? Because I know a lot of people wonder about those two pieces of software.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. So th- that's changing all the time. So if I I could say what was true maybe a, a year or two ago, <laughs> um, and it may not be true anymore. Like one example that comes to mind is the, the interpretation commentary ser- series was on Logos, but not on Accordance for a while. And then I think the New Interpreters Bible Commentary was on Accordance, but not Logos for a while. And they they may both be on both at this point. I don't know. And sometimes newer stuff, especially when it comes out, it's only on one or the other for a while. So I just have both. And their packages so, are, yeah, kind of complicated to figure out sometimes.
0: Man, yeah, no kidding. So it, so it's a matter of library as much as anything. Library more than even functionality, sounds like.
1: It is, yeah. Yeah, absolutely it is. It, it, really, functionality, I find them to be comparable i think both for a long time the logos software was not good on a mac and it still doesn't quite feel like it was built from the ground up for the mac and if you're a mac user that's a little annoying but i can deal with that because you know for the most part it has very high functionality
0: yeah I, was gonna, I, I mean i'm i use it i remember when i remember the days you're talking about i remember the days where i had windows running on my mac just so i could use oh, the yes. good logos but i haven't yeah. felt that in a while so no
1: we call those the dark ages it was not a good time for <laughs>
0: anybody They were. They were. <laughs> And then, so talk about how you use Evernote, you know, because you said ultimately you end up with eight words, but I'm assuming pretty much all of your sermon flows through Evernote to those eight words. Yeah,
1: yeah pretty much. Yeah. So I have, um, I love Evernote for starters. Uh, shout out to Evernote users out there. It's, it's just... It's my digital brain, essentially. I, I first learned about Evernote. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Michael Hyatt, but he's, yeah, you know, talks a lot about productivity, and and I first learned about it from reading him. So I created a system in Evernote. I, it's got different notebooks, and then you can have stacks within the note uh, that that are compose uh, several notebooks. So I have a, a sermon stack. Uh, sermon preparation stack and within that I have, uh, just different pockets. So one is called sermon preparation. And that's where I'm going to actually go in and I usually have one note in sermon preparation per sermon series. And then I'll within that one note, I create like, you know, I, I'll bold like week one and then the title and then I'll have all my notes for that week one and it could be. A lot, or it could be you know much less than that, just depending on the week and the topic and how much preparation needed to go into it. If I'm using if I'm using websites or articles I find on websites, I keep all of that documented in there. I keep you know any quotations I might use, I keep in there with you know the, the reference, so that I can be sure and get all that stuff on the slides when I start to create slides. That's all in sermon prep. Then I have. Um, I have another one just called Buckets. This is just where I keep... Um, it's, it's a whole folder where I just keep... I find a picture uh, really compelling. I'll drop it in there. I hear a story. I'll write it down in there. And I just keep... This file constantly, I'm adding things to it, different sermon illustrations or ideas or photos that might make it into a sermon later. And then about once every two months, I'll just scroll through that buckets notebook and just see like, you know, is there anything in here that I've forgotten about? Cause if, if I, if I kind of keep it front of mind, then when I'm working on sermon prep, it's more like, I'm more likely to recall it as something that would be a really good fit for whatever we're talking about that week. I have a separate one for classes and I have a separate one that I just call the art of preaching. And anything that I hear from somebody that I'm like, Oh, I should try that or I should. Shift that, or that's a good idea. Maybe I could, you know, include that in my sermon prep. Now, uh, I'll just throw that in there, just kind of as a, a little mm-hmm. note to myself, and I review that occasionally as well. So, those, those are the, the big pieces.
0: Yeah, those buckets. When you use one, do you remove it, or do you yeah, just keep them actually in,
1: instead of removing it, I usually put where I used it and what the date was, uh, because you know uh, I preach a different things, and um, it's good to it's good to not take it away in case I want to reference it later on.
0: Yeah. And so do, and in, in this, the sermon stack are all your old sermons tucked away in there or do you just delete them when, once you're done with them?
1: No, they're all tucked away in there. Now the problem, the, you know, one of the fatal flaws with my method is that the outlines I make are not robust enough for me to just pull something up from five (laughs) years ago and print it out and run up and do it. I, I do that partly on purpose so that I don't get into a habit of recycling things. Um, and I, I'm always having to think. And, and truthfully, I can't think of a time where I would preach the same sermon today exactly how I did it three years ago or five years ago. I mean, usually I've learned something else since then, or would say it a little differently, or have had some kind of you know reflection on it that would change the delivery. So that's a flaw. Some people would really hate that, but I it's I've kind of made my peace with it. I think it's a yeah, it's a good piece. Well, talk
0: about, um, talk about books that, you know, you mentioned the interpretation series already, but talk about books, resources that are really helpful for you as a preacher. And they might be reference books. They might be books that shape how you think about preaching.
1: Yeah, I find, I mean, I find a lot of books to be helpful. Um, one of the things that's been the most helpful to me in thinking about preaching is, um, is actually this concept that I've heard from, uh, the liturgists and I heard Rob Bell talk about it. And I've actually, um, uh, it's called spiral dynamics. I don't know if that's something that you guys have ever Ken talked Wilbur, about. Yeah. This, yeah. Uh, yeah. Ken Wilber kind of like wrote about it, pop- popularized it. Claire Graves did some of the original work on it back in the 50s and 60s. And then Don Beck and Christopher Cowan would have been the ones that wrote the literally the book on spiral dynamics. But it just talks about how what the different value systems are, the way that people see the world, and then how you talk to them differently based on their value systems. And, uh, when it comes to sermon prep, I've, I've probably found nothing else more helpful. And understanding that better because it's helped me speak to a very diverse group of people in ways that connect with them.
0: Hmm. So if I remember right, it's got like six or seven, I don't remember. I, I've heard it described. I haven't read it, but it's, yeah, I mean, so it has like six or seven. like percent the
1: world. Yeah. So, well, we don't have, you're not going to have any organization is going to have what's like a center of gravity to it. And so your, your organization is not going to have all those value systems probably uh, prominently Featured within it in in the form of people, because uh, people who are like on opposite sides of the value system spectrum typically don't understand each other at all. And so they don't usually tend to congregate in the same place uh, with any kind of uh, intensity. So you really got to ask yourself, like, what who are the people present here? What are the value systems largely present here? And how can I speak to those?
0: Got it. And so, but just knowing that those are described in that book, you kind of run your sermons through the filters of the, the prominent ones in your community?
1: I do, yeah. So, um, an example of this would be, uh, I'm trying to think of what I've done recently. Um, oh, like talking about generosity. Uh, we, we talked about generosity a few months ago. So I know that I've got people in the crowd. My traditionalists are going to say you should give to the church because you should give to the church, period. You just should do that, right? God says to do it. That settles it. Just give to the church, right? So I don't have to convince them that, that you know, Scripture says it. therefore, you should do it. Um, my modernists are going to be much more uh, pragmatic than that. Uh, they're going to, you know, they want to know, are we, you know, being good stewards of our money? How are we budgeting? All those kinds of things. Like, you know, convince me that I should do this, essentially. And my postmodernists want to know: Are we making a difference in the world with this money? Like, what's the social justice impact? What's the the racial justice impact? Like, how are we really impacting the world and uh, through our through our giving and our finances? And so, you know, as you as you're approaching a series on generosity, oh, and I've also got a lot of people, by the way, who have seen churches handle this topic horribly. Sure. And and so, you know, we we craft statements that. Um, that help each of those people to kind of process and think through because we're just aware that all three of those for us are going to be in the room for sure. All
0: right. You are, you're breaking up on me a little bit, but hopefully the recording is going real well on your end. So (laughs) I caught most of that. Hopefully so. (laughs) If I I ask a question that sounds incredibly ignorant and follow up, that's why. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, other, I I won't even ask any follow-up question on that. So I don't look ignorant. Uh, but uh, are there other books <laughs> okay. that shape how you form your sermons, how you think about preaching?
1: Uh, yeah, I think. There, so I went through um, I went through a thing called Preaching Rocket. I'm, uh, um, You know, I assume some people yeah. might be familiar with. And that was really helpful because it's, it's much more systematized. And I, I don't naturally think in systems. I've had to tr- teach myself to think in systems. And so that was really helpful for me um, kind of structuring my, my week so that I made sure I got done all that needed to get done um, I've read books on communication both from uh, secular and Christian authors um, I find uh, during the I'm going to forget some of these titles so that's not going to be helpful during my uh, more emerging church kind of days you know I would read things by like Doug Padgett who would talk about you know the sermon as as a community practice in some ways, and that's actually shaped some of our thinking around how we have the community wrestle with these things, even though we recognize just because of our size and being multi-site, you know, we can't have that back and forth conversation on Sunday mornings, for instance. But we've tried to figure out how does the community wrestle with these things. Um, really great communicators like Andy Stanley, Rob Bell. Um, those, those guys are great, but they're really different in the way that they communicate, but anything you can learn from those people in their books or in, you know, some of their online things, Rob did a thing in 2008 called poets, prophets and preachers, um, that I think you can still purchase online. It's a, it's, it's videos instead of a book, but it's, you know, some really good thinking on how to, uh, where to start the story and how to craft it and those kinds of things. So those, those have all been really helpful resources for sure.
0: The, the origin of your buckets, I'm sure. Right. The Rob Bell stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. That's the origin of the buckets.
0: All right. Well, well, Josh, you you have um, you have just over twenty four hours until you have to preach your Thursday night Easter sermon. You have to preach your Maundy <laughs> Thursday Easter sermon. <laughs> so uh, it's true. We will inside. We will we will wind down here. But uh, if people want to follow what's going on with you, or if they want to reach out to you on Twitter, you know, the church, uh, any online uh addresses, connecting points that you can mention here.
1: Yeah, so our, our church web address is tmh dot church, just stands for the meetinghouse.church. And then on Twitter, I'm at Josh Crane, that's J-O-S-H-C-R-A-I-N. Um you can follow us at that. And then uh, Meredith as well who who's been on the show before she would be at Mdancause uh D-A-N-C-A-U-S-E on uh, Twitter. She'd be great to connect with as well. All right. Well, Josh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's my pleasure, man. Thanks for the chat today. It's always always good to uh, always good to talk, brother.
0: <laughs> Thanks to all of you for listening. Again, if you want to support the podcast, you can go to Patreon. dot com slash Sermon Smith. Follow on Twitter or on facebook if you want to get the uh giveaway for the tickets to jr briggs upcoming seminar on six ways six practical ways to sharpen your teaching and preaching and of course please help us on itunes let's get those reviews up to 60 we're at 44 right now thanks friends